Uh, as I consider Grand Valley, I think we've been on um, a big growth trajectory for the last 15, 20 years. You know, our, our enrollment numbers have been really impressive over the last bit. Um, and now I think we have an opportunity where we're settling into the size of the school that we want to be. And so now can we really fine tune um, some of the programs and uh, the schools and the different things that we have? Um, how do we sort of, I once heard someone say like, how do we find the white spaces and tighten up the edges a little bit, you know? like. Um, now that we're kind of moving out of growth mode and we're maintaining, you know, are there areas we, where we can really dig in and sort of peel some things apart and say, can we optimize here? Are we doing the best that we can here? Are we in everything that we're doing ensuring student success um, as is our goal? This episode of Beyond Aporia originated in the Howenstein Center's webcast, Lunch and Learn with Gleaves available at www.gvsu.edu slash hc. Welcome to the Howenstein Center's live Q&A webcast, Lunch and Learn. I'm your host, Gleaves Whitney. In today's webcast, we are exploring a variety of regional challenges. My guest is one of our favorite people at the Howenstein Center, Megan Saul. Megan is the Deputy City Manager of Wyoming. She was just recently asked to serve as Chair of Grand Valley State University's Board of Trustees. She is truly a Laker for a lifetime, having earned her bachelor's degree in international relations back in 2007 from Grand Valley and then her master's in public administration in 2009. And gosh, she uh, was a member of our Cook Leadership Academy cohort quite early on. So she's been a witness to our growth from the early years. And gosh, very background, lived in Greece for a year and a half. She spent a year in Washington, D.C., a year and a half, I think, in Washington, D.C., working, uh, doing international development work, a USAID subcontractor on a project in Afghanistan. And she's been back in Grand Rapids now for eight years. My conversation with Megan will go about 35 minutes or so, followed by questions from our viewers. So feel free to begin sending your questions to us right away using your Zoom toolbar to do so. Thank you for joining me on today's webcast, Megan. I believe, thanks for having me, I'm excited to be here. Well, it's not often that I host somebody who was both my former student and is now my boss. Yeah, which is always awkward when people say, but um, I suppose I just need to learn to accept that at some point. Well, we're not surprised, Megan. You've really been a star. We, we knew you win. We saw you as a star even back in the Cook Leadership Academy and knew you'd go far and, and do great things. Well, please tell us, let's start by hearing a little bit about your background, your family, where you grew up, and why you chose to come to Grand Valley as an undergraduate. Sure. Um, so I love to tell people that um, my first home is actually a mile north of Grand Valley's campus off 48th Avenue. Um, I'm adopted. I was born in South Korea, um, but I came to the U.S. as a baby and have lived here ever since. So I uh, lived in Allendale um, for maybe, I don't know, eight years, and then we moved around West Michigan a little bit. Uh, finished high school in Traverse City, which was delightful, and then um, did a couple years of school in Chicago at a non-GVSU school. Um, I took some time off. I like to say I had a quarter-life crisis when I was midway through my collegiate career and um, did some <laughs> missions and humanitarian work for three years, which is how I ended up in Greece. Um, came back, finished at Grand Valley, you know, came to my senses, finished at Grand Valley, got my master's, um, worked for the city of Wyoming then, um, took a hiatus, ended up in DC for a year, came back to work at the right place, um, 
did a small stint in software development and then have been back with the city of Wyoming since 2017. So it's been a bit of a whirlwind, but uh, I think I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be right now. So it's been great. Well, Megan, it seems that at some point you must have decided to dedicate a lot of your energies to public service. I mean, you, you really have been a public servant. You've served public institutions for most of your, your career now. And tell us how that came about, as opposed to going strictly into sort of the business entrepreneurial sector or government per se. Yeah, it's a great question, Gleaves. Um, I think a lot of it just has to do with, I, I very much consider myself an extrovert. Um, although sometimes I think the older I get, the more introverted I become. I think I'm just tired, really. But um, being an extrovert, I just always really liked people and I care a lot about people. And so um, public service is certainly about serving the public and um, very mission oriented. Um, and I, I think that's a lot of what draws me. I also know I've been really fortunate. I've lived a really good life. I've had a lot of really wonderful people come around me and support me, not just family and friends, but also my experience at Grand Valley was amazing, partly because of the Cook Leadership Academy and other mentors and advisors that I had along the way. And so to the extent that I've been given a lot, you know, I feel it's incumbent upon me to give back to the community as well. And so I think I've always been drawn to public service for that reason. And we're going to get a little bit more into your background, what uh, you got out of the Cook Leadership Academy a little bit further into the interview. I think right now, let's tackle what a lot of people are worried about, and that is how COVID has impacted our economies and, you know, how we're going to get through this very difficult period we're in now, whether COVID's going to spike again, what kinds of responses we should have. You're in a position of great responsibility as Deputy City Manager of Wyoming just south here of, of Grand Rapids, where we are conducting this interview. How has COVID impacted the city of Wyoming's economy? Sure. Uh, so first of all, the city of Wyoming, a lot of people don't realize how big we are. We're a community of about 75,000 residents. It makes us, I think, the 16th largest city in the state of Michigan. Um, sometimes we like to joke that Grand Rapids is our biggest suburb, even though we know it's really the reverse. Um, but we have a really diverse community about a quarter of our population is Latinx. I think we have about uh, six, either six or eight percent African American, about three and a half percent Asian. Um, so a really diverse community, which we love um, completely. Uh, and so it's interesting when we think about COVID, we obviously know that the pandemic has affected different communities in disproportionate ways. And so as a city, one of the fundamental questions I'm always asking as well is, what is the responsibility of the city when it comes to delivering services? So, you know, for us, a lot of that is making sure that when people turn on their taps, they have clean, drinkable water that's running through it. And likewise, that when they flush it away, that it's also, um, it's also leaving their homes in a safe manner. Um, making sure that our roads and our infrastructure are what they need to be. So if we do have first responders or emergency personnel out in the streets, they're safe. Um, certainly, public safety doesn't take a break during these kinds of things. And in fact, um, we've all been living through the pandemic, a lot of us at home with people who we normally don't spend as much time with. And it is a very real thing that domestic incidents and other, um, other scenarios of that nature have ticked up while people have been home and frustrated or unemployed. Um, obviously, mental health is a big issue that we're very concerned with. I think all of us have probably dealt with our own 
mental health during this time. Uh, while we aren't directly responsible for that, again, our public safety personnel are on the front lines um, talking with those people. We have a lot of manufacturing here. We know that was shut down um, and shuttered for the early parts of the stay home order. And so it is a concern to us that we probably have many people in our community who um, have been without work. Hopefully they're on unemployment, but in need of um, resources and other things. So for the city, you know, to the extent that we're able to, we're continuing to provide our services as we normally would. Um, we are, I'm in the office today. Most of us are back in the office. We're continuing to take resident calls and um, go out and fix water mains and things of that nature. Um, but really it's one of those things where time will tell um, exactly what the impact will be. Can people pay their water bills? Can they pay their summer taxes for their properties? Um, those kinds of things. And so we're mindful. We've been monitoring a lot of the state legislation that's out there to say, how does this affect residents? How does this affect the city? Um, are we able to continue resourcing them so um, it's been a challenging time to be sure. I think all of us, and I would imagine people who are watching as well, um, it's just been a lot of new that we're having to wrestle with. You know, some days we go to the office and we know what we need to get done for the day and we know the normal scenarios that we come into contact with. But right now, every day you get up and you go to the office, there's a new situation that you have to think through and um, figure out and create policy around. and. Um, been a little exhausting, but you know, we're all in the same boat and we're doing it together. Megan, there's been a lot of unrest, of course, around the United States after the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Uh, has Wyoming experienced unrest? Well, for those of you who watched the riots that happened in downtown Grand Rapids and saw the police cruisers that were on fire, um, of the seven cars that burned, five of those were Wyoming cars. We had about 30 of our personnel downtown that night helping um, to keep protesters and other people safe, um, as well as the community. And um, they had parked, they had come later in the evening, so they had parked on a side street where they thought they'd be out of the way. Unfortunately, those were the cars that um, some of the rioters found. So um, in that sense, yes, we have been augmenting some of our neighboring communities. We do that often. Um, when incidents arise and when public safety is needed. Um, so we've been involved directly in that way. Um, we haven't really had, um, we haven't had a lot of demonstrations or protests in our community specifically. Um, if that were to happen, we would again work with the organizers to figure out a way to do that so that it could happen peacefully and safely for everyone here, but we haven't had that directly here. Um, we have been talking with city council and staff and others about what do these kinds of things mean for our community? How do we speak into them thoughtfully? How do we make sure that we as a city are operating in a way that honors, um, honors people who've been marginalized over the years, honors the people who live here, honors people who don't you know, look like everyone else? And so how do we talk through that, respond thoughtfully, um, and make sure that we have good policy around those things? Very good. These are challenging times, and it does take really thoughtful people like you to be able to help tackle this. I know you have a good team there uh, in the city of Wyoming to work on these very pressing issues. As I've said on this webcast before, race is job one right now in the United States. We've got to get it right. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for your efforts, Megan, where you, where you are. Well, you also have a broader regional 
context, I think, because of your work, at, as you mentioned, at the right place. And you've seen the emphasis on growing jobs and developing and retaining talent in our area. What can you say about not just Wyoming now, maybe not just Grand Rapids, but West Michigan as a whole from your experience yeah. and how we're meeting the challenges that are on the horizon? Sure. So I worked for the right place between 2012 and almost 2016. So for about four years. So we were post recession. Um, quite frankly, one of the issues that became um, a stumbling block for a lot of companies towards the end of my tenure there, and I think it persists, is employment levels. Um, we're, we've been very fortunate in West Michigan to have a strong economy, um, a lot of great employers to work for. And quite frankly, the issue has been about talent. How do we bring more talent to West Michigan to fill these jobs, to bring different ideas and perspectives? Um, I don't know, quite frankly, to steal some ideas from other parts of the country where people have been living. Um, so I think that's a challenge, but also it speaks to how well we are doing in West Michigan, um, to how attractive our communities are. I often make a joke. There's a lot of people who grow up in West Michigan. They go off to college, they go off to other cities. I did the same thing. And then maybe they get married and they have kids and they're looking for free babysitting. So they wanna move back to West Michigan where their families are, right? To get a little bit of help with that. Um, overall, you know, our manufacturing industry is so strong here. Healthcare is huge. We're growing in information technology, software development. That was the particular sector that I was really excited about when I was working at the right place. Um, but I think people were starting to find out a little bit about West Michigan too. We are a little challenged, and I think Grand Valley has this too, in that uh, West Michigan for a long time has been a best kept secret, right? No one really knew about the, the design and the innovation and the, um, the manufacturing prowess and all these amazing things that were coming out of West Michigan. Um, and some people liked it that way. And they just wanted to fly under the radar and not really be the center of attention. But I think as we consider the future and where we need to go, it behooves us to be a place that people are talking about. You know, when I was at the right place, it's when we hit a whole bunch of lists all of a sudden, West Michigan, Grand Rapids metro area. Suddenly we were out on the forefront, great place to live, great place to retire, all sorts of things. At the same time, we know that it wasn't a great place for everyone. And there were lists that talked about um, certain communities that didn't enjoy the same, um, I guess, levels of prosperity here, and that's something for us to work on. But West Michigan is an attractive place to be. There's a lot of good things happening here. Again, a lot of work to do, but we're really fortunate with the industry and the philanthropy and the types of community and cultural amenities that we have here. Well, speaking of amenities, I know one of the projects near and dear to your heart is Grand Rapids Whitewater. Yes. Tell us all about that. Yes, so I serve as one of the campaign co-chairs for the Grand Rapids Whitewater Project. Um, for those of you who have wondered what's going on with this project, uh, it's still happening. Uh, we're still in process. Right now we have about 90% of our fundraising goal raised, so we're nearing the end and we're pretty excited about that. Um, it is a project to restore um, the rapids in the Grand River from about Ann Street down to Fulton. And so the plan is to remove all the dams that are currently in the river and to restore the river to a more natural state. Um, very interestingly, from the starting point, so about Ann Street to Fulton, there's a natural 16 foot drop in the river between that section, 
which allows the river to, I mean, we're not gonna have class five rapids here. So sorry for anyone who thought that was gonna be a thing, uh, but there's a natural drop in the river. And so we can have much more natural movement going through it. And so over the course of, well, it's a long, it's a long-term project, but over the course of the next few years, we'll work on removing those dams. We'll likely start with Michigan Street to Fulton. So you'll see it right downtown first. Um, those will come out. And then further upstream near Ann Street, we'll be installing an adjustable hydraulic structure uh, that is primarily meant to keep the sea lamprey out from swimming upstream if they get this way. Uh, but then also, I think it will help regulate some of the water levels if need be. So with that, there'll be some features in the river where um, people may be able to swim. Uh, at one point we talked about having a little current where you could have a little surf wave um, sort of in place. If you've ever looked them up, like on YouTube, they have those in some places. Um, but certainly a river where people can recreate. And maybe on a lunch hour, if you're at GBSU, you can throw a kayak in, you know, do a little paddle for 30 minutes and then hop back out at some point. So um, we're very excited. We think it's great for economic development. We think it's great for tourism. I think it's great for talent attraction. I mean, it just, it's another amenity we can add here. And also we talk about equity. You know, I'm always astounded each year when you hear the percentage of some of our city school kids who've never been to Lake Michigan. And it's only, what, 30 minutes away. And so if we now have an opportunity um, to teach kids to swim and to have a natural body of water nearby that they can access, you know, that's huge um, for a lot of the community that can't can access that right now. So we're excited on a lot of fronts. Like I said, we hope to be in the river um, probably the end of next year or the beginning of 22. There are seven governmental regulating agencies that we're working with to get all the necessary permits. Um, we have a Gantt chart that's like three feet long of all the things that need to be done, all the boxes that need to be checked, but we're getting there and it's gonna be great. How is it being paid for? Uh, so right now we have a blend of state and federal resources and then the private sector. Um, it is a $44 million project, which um, probably sounds a bit crazy, but I will have to say that um, maintaining the environment and the ecological standards in the river is of utmost importance. And all the regulating agencies, that's number one on their list, making sure we're not disturbing the natural habitats. Uh, one of the things that we're doing is um, relocating an endangered species of mussel. It's called the snuffbox mussel, and it currently lives in the river. And we will actually, well, I won't, but we will actually have a firm that will be picking them out of the water and relocating them. I think they're going to the Rogue River. I'm not for positive, but I think that's where they're going. That alone is costing about two and a half million dollars to protect wow. that endangered species, right? So um, it seems like a big price tag, but I think for the long-term benefits that we're gonna see and um, for, for what we'll gain in maintaining this natural resource that we have, I think it's well worth it. And quite honestly, um, I think for the current generation who's involved with the project and fundraising for or giving to it, this I think um, will be sort of our Vanandal Arena for the 2020s. You know, everyone talks about how the construction of the Vanandal Arena in 1994 was really, um, was really the jumping off point for downtown development. And since then, we've seen a lot of growth. 
again, I think moving forward, when we look back after we re, um, return the river to its natural state, we'll notice that other things will start happening after that because of this investment we've made. And I think, um, I think it's gonna be a turning point, though we may not see it now, I think it'll be a turning point for our future. Help us develop this idea of sort of the de what, what the developments along the riverbanks are gonna look like perhaps. I've had some people you know, say, well, maybe it's gonna be like Chicago. You know, now they have a long stretch where you can walk right along the river there in downtown Chicago on the Chicago River. Mm -hmm. uh, I've heard a couple of people say, hey, maybe we'll be the San Antonio of the North. You know, they have the, the river walk. Paseo del Rio down there, the river walk in San Antonio. Yeah. Do you anticipate is our, our plans already in place to attract restaurants that will have terraces that are adjacent to the banks and that kind of thing? I think it'll be a mix because we do have a lot of existing landowners who are there. And quite frankly, on the west bank of the river, sort of north of Ann Street, um, or maybe north of Leonard, we have industry, right? So we have manufacturers there and we, I know we have a staffing agency and other things. So uh, it'll be an interesting uh, evolution, I think, to see how can we retrofit the, the businesses and the buildings that are currently there to be more friendly to the river? And, and by friendly, I just mean, do they change the orientation of their building? Do they put seating areas out front or office spaces that now focus that way? Uh, do we build some pathways that go through there? Um, the city of Grand Rapids has done a study called River for All and some design work about what some conceptual plans could be. We've talked about amphitheaters. We've talked about areas where people can wade into the water, um, sort of stepped or terraced um, riversides where people can spend the afternoon, you know, reading a book or um, hanging out with friends. Uh, there, there are efforts underway right now with some city leaders, the county, um, folks from the Rapids, other community leaders to talk about the future governance structure. Because the Grandpa's Whitewater Project is really about restoring the Rapids. Then we have to think about who's maintaining that, um, who's overseeing these efforts, how is it funded. So there's a lot of work in that way that's going on as well. Um, you know, I think we're going to have to take it uh, one piece at a time. Um, it's really critical that we get this governance piece right, but I, I do think you will see something where there is more retail and commerce mixed in with these natural elements. So again, our hope is that people can come to the river, enjoy a whole afternoon, maybe a whole day, um, spend time recreating, shopping, eating, um, enjoying family and friends. Very exciting, yet another reason to be proud to be from West Michigan, to have all these amenities that you were talking about. Yeah. Well, let's switch gears just a little bit. You know, you've been on the Board of Trustees here at Grand Valley State University, and now you're the chair of the Board of Trustees, that august body. Tell us what your vision is for higher education in general and for Grand Valley in particular. That's a big question, Gleese. Uh, what is my vision? Uh, you know, I've experienced firsthand the, the value of a Grand Valley education. I know people probably think that's like standard boilerplate language that we use, but quite honestly, uh, I'm not quite sure how it is that I currently am the board chair of the Board of Grand Valley State University, save for the education that I've had, the people I've had access to, the experiences um, that I've been, um, been a part of or that I've, I've had in my life. Um, I, college is great because it teaches us things. College is also great because it's a time where we can 
we can find ourselves, right? And we can think through, uh, what is this next part of life going to mean for me and look like for me? And what kind of things am I interested in? And uh, what, what am I going to allow into, um, I guess, into my range of focus that will help shape my worldview and help me wrestle through what it means to be human, what it means to be um, a West Michigander, what it means to um, be whatever we are. Um, I think I think education is so important. I think, quite frankly, in these days, when we look at our economy and we look at um, people who are trying to better themselves and their lives, that college education has a direct correlation to um, to earning potential, um, to career happiness, to vocational success, that sort of thing. Uh, as I consider Grand Valley, I think we've been on um, a big growth trajectory for the last 15, 20 years. You know, our, our enrollment numbers have been really impressive over the last bit. Um, and now I think we have an opportunity where we're settling into the size of the school that we want to be. And so now can we really fine tune um, some of the programs and the, the schools and the different things that we have? Um, how do we sort of, I once heard someone say like, how do we find the white spaces and tighten up the edges a little bit, you know? like. Um, now that we're kind of moving out of growth mode and we're maintaining, you know, are there areas we, where we can really dig in and sort of peel some things apart and say, can we optimize here? Are we doing the best that we can here? Are we in everything that we're doing ensuring student success, um, as is our goal? And so certainly um, during these times of COVID, making sure that our students still receive, you know, a high value education, that they feel engaged, that they're being challenged, that they are getting as much as they can out of their classes, their professors, their peers, the programs we have, that's really important. Um, I think also playing a strong role in the community. Um, it's, it's interesting, sometimes I hear from people who say, why isn't Grand Valley speaking into this? Or why aren't they speaking into that? And again, as a university, just like, like with local government, I often wonder what is our responsibility to the community but it's also signaled to me that people see us as an authority of sorts. They see us as a voice that they want to hear from. And so um, we really should feel proud of that, that when things happen, people want to know, what does Grand Valley think? What is Grand Valley, how are they responding? Um, what role do they have to play in this? So um, education of our students, making sure that they go on to successful lives and careers and um, just personhood. I think that's important, but also the role that we play here in West Michigan um, is, is really unique and valued. Grand Valley has certainly earned a place at the table because of all the, the real estate, all of the expertise, mm -hmm. uh, the brilliant people who work on this campus and the great leadership we've had and the fact that it has been such a fiscally responsible institution all these years. You know, Grand Valley, we can all be proud has come through this COVID crisis thus far, really in strong fiscal shape because of outstanding leadership. Prudent, that, that's where you wanna praise that, that West Michigan you know, uh, prudential fiscal leadership. Yeah, it's really that's, been, a, uh, that's a very nice way to say it, Gleese. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Okay, well, let's uh, zero in a little bit now on the Peter C. Cook Leadership Academy. You know, you were, uh, one of our, our great fellows back in one of the earliest classes, Megan, um, and we were just uh, watching you grow and, and your whole cohort of students at that time have done so well. 
Well, please tell us, tell the viewers a little bit about your experience and how the CLA helped form you into the leader you are today. Sure. Well, please, I was just um, joking with your colleague, Allie, that when I was in the second, uh, I think the second cohort of the Cook Leadership Academy, we used to meet in the DeVos boardroom on um, the downtown campus with brown bag lunches and have conversations. And, and that's what it was. And now it's become this beautiful, full-fledged program with you know, some of the best speakers in the world and some of the brightest minds and um, certainly the talent that you're turning out is amazing. Um, but it's been, uh, it's been really lovely for me to sit and reflect and think about what the, the Leadership Academy has meant to me. I think at the time, I'll be very honest, you know, I was in school, I thought, well, this seems like a good thing to do. Why wouldn't I want to learn about leadership? Why wouldn't I want to associate with other people who are interested in, in a life of leadership and in these different topics? Um, and since then, you know, it's, it's grown. For me personally, I think it was access to community leaders who've done amazing things. Um, I remember hearing Bert Close speak, and then, you know, a few years later, I got to go work for her. Um, I remember, you know, talking with legislators, um, feeling comfortable speaking with some of these community leaders because through the Cook Leadership Academy, like, I knew that I could have a place in that room if, if I felt or if I formed a well-thought opinion or had a question about something, it was okay to ask that. It was okay to approach these people. Um, they're all brilliant in their own right, but they're also humans, and so we can, we can connect in that way. So I think the other thing that's been so great about the Academy of Leaders is just the time that you spend helping people figure out who they are. You know, whether it's the DISC assessments or, um, um, I don't know if you guys are looking at Myers-Briggs, but just talking through different case studies. Um, but the, you know, we talk a lot about authenticity and leadership, but I really do think it's impossible to lead unless you know who you are and what's important to you. And the fact that the Leadership Academy gives students at a pretty early time in life the opportunity to sit and think through that, the fact that they're even being asked those questions, who are you, what does leadership mean to you, what kind of, what kind of human do you want to be in the world, how do you want to participate in the world, um, I think those are really formative things that not everybody has the luxury of having the time to think through and think about. And so... I think, again, one of the greatest things the Cook Leadership Academy is doing is helping uh, graduate people from the university, but helping put people into the world who know who they are and what they're about and where they're going. So, um, yeah, I have, I have loads of great memories. I always, you know, I tell people, first I was in the academy, and then I was a groupie for a little while and just hung out at events and with people. And then I was a mentor for a little bit and I'm kind of in my groupie stage again, but um, <laughs> um, I was telling and now we're And now we're your groupie. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. That sounds kind <laughs> of We can all be friends and colleagues. That sounds, <laughs> sounds better. Oh, that's, that's terrific. You mentioned mentors. Uh, how important was mentoring to you as you were an undergraduate and graduate? The utmost importance. You know, I, well, you'll hear me talk about mental health a lot, right? Um, I have a therapist. She's amazing. I'm learning. I lived a lot of my life not doing feelings. In my 30s now, I'm learning how to do feelings, which has been very challenging, but also very rewarding. Um, but I, 
I laugh about one of, one of my core questions for myself, and this is just how I'm wired, is um, am I doing life right? It's like always what I'm wanting to know. Am I doing this right? And I remember I once saw a meme that said, I didn't know I'm supposed to know how to do everything after my first rodeo. And I thought, isn't that true? Because I think these days we, we know people and we see people who seem to be doing all the things, right? They're experts at their jobs and they're great parents and they're triathletes and they bake these beautiful cakes on the weekend and they're crafty and refinishing furniture. And it's like, how do you do all those things? How do you know how to do all those things? Am I supposed to be good at all those things? Is, is that stuff I'm supposed to be doing? So having mentors and advisors in your life who you can go to, ask those questions, say, am I doing this right? You know, what was your experience with this? Sometimes I think we just need a little feedback. We just need a little bit of um, reinforcement. Some, we also need accountability, right? We need people to hold our feet to the fire and say, actually, no, I don't think that was right. Or maybe you could have approached it a different way or that relationship that you have, you know, that doesn't feel healthy or um, you need to speak up at the office when these sorts of things happen, you know, I think is really important because we don't know everything, right? Yeah. And to have trusted people in our lives who will give us that feedback um, is really, really important. And then in the same point, to be willing to give our feedback and our, our honesty and our best efforts to other people around us, I think is equally important. It's not just us taking all the time, but then after we've received, how do we give back as well? So what's the best example of a leader that you've ever worked around or seen? Somebody you wanted to be like? Oh, goodness. Um, I mean, everyone will probably think I'm getting paid to say this, but my current boss, who is across the hall from me, right over there right now, also a Grand Valley alum, of course, um, he's, he's one of the best leaders that I've ever worked for. Uh, his name is Curtis Holt. He's our city manager. I worked for him. I was an intern at the city of Wyoming in 2007, and it turned into a full-time job, and I stayed here for about three and a half years. Then I left, did all my other things, and then um, had the opportunity to come back in 17 as his assistant city manager and now his deputy. Um, yeah, Curtis, well, he has a phenomenal fiscal brain, so there's that, but um, he's a great leader in the way that um, he lets people lead in their own way. And so here at the city, we have a lot of different departments. You know, we have um, community services and public safety and um, the treasurer's office, the assessor's office and public works and all of our operations are very different, very, very different. And so each of them has to be run in sort of a different way. You know, we have overarching city policies, but within that, everybody kind of has their own way of doing things because they have to based on the nature of their work. Um, and he's really good at letting people lead in their own way, at trusting others to show up and do the job that they're called to do. Um, at the same time, if someone needs help, if they need a little assistance, if they need a little guidance, if they need advice, um, he's there for that too. And so, I, um, you know, part of it is him also identifying what does the person need in a manager. Some people need a lot of attention and a lot of direction. Other people need to feel that they're empowered to do what they need to do. And um, I think one of the jobs of a leader is figuring out how do I bring the best out of the people around me and then um, cultivate that. 
and then let them loose, right? And let them unleash all of their potential on the world, on your organization, um, wherever you are. Well, Megan, you've studied leadership. You've been around some phenomenal people who have mentored you and have shown you what leadership looks like. Please tell viewers, what's your general philosophy or style of leadership? Always a hard question. Um, you know, something, and I use the word already, something that's so important to me is authenticity. And um, I, I will say, you know, even, even in um, having the opportunity to serve as board chair, I often worry that people get a certain idea of me just based on these different titles and roles that I have. Um, and certainly at the end of the day, I really want people to know that I'm a human just like everyone else, right? And so it's important to me that I be authentic with others. Um, I don't ever want, uh, I don't ever want someone to compare themselves to me or to anyone else really and say, oh, I haven't done what that person has done. I don't have that title. I haven't sat in that chair. Um, so maybe I'm less than, or maybe, you know, I've got work to do or whatever. You know, it's fine to aspire to those things. I think that's really excellent. We all need goals in life to help keep us on track and get us where we want to be. But at the end of the day, we're all humans um, that are trying to give back and serve and help others. And so in leadership, um, I think it's so important to be human with those around us. Um, but I will say uh, another, um, I guess, characteristic of that that I'm finding to be really important these days is consistency. Um, when people come to you, they, do they know which version of you they're going to get? You know, I think we've all worked with people and depending on the day, you're not sure how they're going to react or what they're going to say or how they're going to take something. You know, can we be consistent? You know, once we know who our authentic self is, can we consistently be that person so that the people around us know what they're going to get? So that's one less question they have to figure out when they're working through an issue or when they're preparing communication for you or um, when they're gonna bring you an idea. You know, are you that person that they can rely on? Are you that same attitude or disposition or whatnot? Um, I think that's really helpful, especially as we navigate so many unknowns these days. Can we be our real authentic self every day so that people know how best to work with us um, how best to collaborate with us. Um, yeah, I, I just find that to be a really important thing these days. Steadiness. Yes, yes. Very good. Megan, you've gotten to live such a rich life. Uh, you know, it's, it's really remarkable all the things that you've been able to do and you appreciate the diversity of things you've been able to do. What do you attribute this to? this rich life? Yeah, I think a lot of it for me has to do with opportunity. I'm really an opportunities person. When I was, quite frankly, when I was a senior in high school, I was very concerned about how was I gonna end up where I wanted to be someday? You know, maybe at that time I was like, oh, someday, you know, I wanna be a CEO or uh, I wanna be the president or something. And so how, how am I gonna do that? And I was really worried about making sure that I was gonna arrive at some of these goals and what did I have to do to get there? And I had a very lovely friend who said to me one day, like, Megan, just, just slow down. Like, just focus on doing the next right thing and taking the next right step. And logically, 
you take the next right one and then the next right one and the next right one, you will end up exactly where you're supposed to be. And ever since then, I have tried really hard to live life more in that way. And I'll tell you, I think I've had mentors in my life over the years who've been very frustrated with that because they're like, no, no, tell me what the 15 year plan is and then we'll work backwards and put all the steps in there and that's how we're gonna do it. And I've been like, no, I would just prefer to wake up in the morning do my best and figure out what does the world have for me today? And if an opportunity comes across my path and I check it out and it seems like the right one, then I will probably pursue it or I will probably say yes. And at the same time, if it doesn't, then fine. Um, I have a very clear example of this when I was finishing my internship here at the city back in my undergrad. I really wanted to move to DC. It's the first thing I wanted to do. And an opening came up in the city and my bosses said, you know, would you consider staying for this opening? And I said, no, no, I'm gonna to go to DC and live on the hill and do all these cool things. And they said, yeah, but you know, remember we do tuition reimbursement here if you want to pursue your master's and it might just be good experience. Well, I thought about it and I thought, well, yeah, that seems smart. So I stayed, I got my master's and I got some experience in the city. Well, fast forward five years, I got my chance to go to DC and it didn't happen the way I thought it would, but I still got to go there. I lived there for a year. And then quite frankly, I had the opportunity to come home to West Michigan and I decided that's where I really wanted to be. So, um, you know, I took those, those next right steps that were in front of me and they've, um, they've, they've led to all sorts of really wonderful, um, extraordinary things. But for me, it's more about, yeah, what's in front of me, what's the best choice that I can make right now and just trusting for the outcome. Right? Because none of us are really in control anyways. If COVID has taught us anything, right? None of us are in control. I'm a big control freak and I've had lots of lessons to be learned about outcomes I can and cannot control. Um, and so can I control my next, my next decision point? Sure. So I'm going to do that. And then the one after that and the one after that. Well, listening to you, Megan, what I hear again and again are the ways that you've changed from say the time you were in high school. So when you distill this wisdom that you're sharing with us with, say, incoming freshmen, incoming students to Grand Valley State University, maybe they're transferring from other schools. We have a lot of transfers. What do you tell them? What's the most important thing they should keep in mind as students at Grand Valley? It's relationships, always the relationships. Um, I mean, obviously, go to class, get your degree, do a good job with that. But also, um, you know, one of the things that I think has also been talked a lot about during COVID is loneliness. The percentage of people in our world these days who are lonely. And college is a great time to forge new relationships, to find friends for life, or maybe just friends for a season. Um, but the relationships that you establish with other students, with your professors. Um, I'm gonna give a shout out to Professor Divin, to Polly Divin. I had her in my undergrad I still see her out and about and I still call her Professor Divin because to me, she's always Professor Divin and she says, Megan, just call me Polly. And I say, no way, you are Professor Divin. But that <laughs> is a relationship. She was also my advisor. So that was a relationship that I forged with Equin um, that I've maintained. And, you know, we don't talk all the time, but you know, when we see each other, we know each other. So I'd say relationships are so important. Um, they're the things that will sustain us. You know, our education and knowledge is one thing, but being able to relate to people with that knowledge, having friends, having people to do life with, having personal advisors and people in our camp who can cheer us up 
encourage us to go on or like I said, call us out when something may be amiss. Um, that's what I would really focus on, the relationships and then the opportunities. Uh, I always think about the extracurriculars, whether it's clubs or sports or study abroad. And again, I know right now we're in a weird time when we can't do all of those things. But that's really like, you've used the term rich. I feel like that's the extra richness, right? That comes with these opportunities, the icing on the cake, if you will. Um, and those I think are also areas where you find a lot of unexpected opportunities, whether it's volunteering and then you get to serve on the board someday, or it's um, meeting people who then help network you into your next job. Um, I, I think it's really important not to lose sight of those opportunities as well. And I certainly hope our Grand Valley students are paying attention to those opportunities. It's good advice. Megan, we have viewers who are queued up to ask you some questions, so let's bring them into our conversation. Okay. One viewer writes, what are the books you've read that have influenced this wonderful outlook on work and life that you have? Good question. What books? Uh, so I sometimes laugh. My dad was short on reading material, so I was going through my book collection. I'm not gonna lie, I read a lot of like inspirational books and self-help books and how do I be a better human types of books. Um, I'm trying to think. Actually, uh, a book that has been really profound for me in the last couple of years, it's called Falling Upward. It's by Richard Rohr. Um, he's a Franciscan priest by trade, but he talks about the two halves of life, and he likens them to containers. And the first half of life is really about figuring out what does your container look like. And then at some point, you get kind of tired of that, and then you move into the second half of life where you decide, what are you going to fill your container with? So again, um, you know, as we're going through college and early stage of career, I think it's really about building identity. And it's like, okay, then once you know who you are, you're not doing as much of that work, but what are you filling or what are you doing with your identity? What are you filling your life with? So um, Falling Upward by Richard Rohr. Um, there's another book called Finding Meaning in the Second Half of Life um, that has similar themes. I have found those to be really profound and they answered a lot of questions for me too. I'm in my late thirties now. Um, you know, you get to a point where, for me, I was getting kind of bored, and I was like, well, now what? And those books really helped me understand and put some language around why that was actually happening. Well, this is going to be a related question then. Question the viewer writes is, what are your thoughts on the next right step, if it may include a lateral move that might involve a pay decrease, but it's a better long-term trajectory? What do you do with that? Oh. I'd say if you can figure out the finances, you take it. Um, but make sure there's something in it for you. I mean, if it's if it's the long term, if it's um, a supervisor there who you know is going to mentor you, if it's access to professional development programs or something like tuition reimbursement, um, that's definitely when you have to go with the long term game rather than the short term. Um, I think it if feels hard to do, especially, again, when we're in this uncertain economy, but I think you have to take the long view with that one, and if there's something else that you can get out of it, um, and if you think you've sort of reached the end with where you are, I'd, I'd say make the leap. Um, I, I was once deciding uh, between two roles, or deciding about a job, and a friend said to me, which uh, which decision will leave you with the least amount of regret when you look back later? And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. And I ran the test and I said, 
this decision will leave me with the least amount of regret. And then he said, well, that's what you should do. And I said, that's really true. So sometimes, well, a lot of times I ask myself that now and I think, well, which will I regret more if I say no or I say yes. And sometimes that helps distill things too. Very good advice. Yeah, he's a very brilliant businessman now. And so I was like, oh yeah, that Matt, he was really smart actually. Megan, what do you love most about West Michigan? A viewer asks. I love the people and I love the opportunities. Um, I live in the East Hills neighborhood of Grand Rapids, which I think is the best neighborhood ever. So that is really fun. Um, a lot of my friends live in the neighborhood. I can walk to places like Mara Sushi and Brewery Vivant and Tara. I'm a big foodie, so that helps. Um, but I often tell people, I mean, again, the fact that I sit on the board of trustees for Grand Valley State University. If I lived in Chicago, New York, or LA, I probably would not have this opportunity because there are so, I, I feel like there are so many more levels of, um, of leadership and administration and other things. Um, and not to disqualify myself, right? But it's just harder in bigger cities because there's more people. Um, and so we talk about how in West Michigan, you can be a big fish in a small pond. And so I do think that's true. And because we are growing as a community, there's a lot of new things that are happening and a lot of opportunities to get in on the ground floor of really cool things, whether it's restoring the rapids, working on a not for a nonprofit, um, working to solve some of these social justice issues that we're wrestling with right now, um, mentoring with local school kids or even with the university. There's just so many opportunities right here. Um, and, I, and I think it's, um, for me, a person like myself, it feels really good to be able to get involved. Another viewer asks, how do you see Grand Valley looking in five years? How does it differ in five years from the university we know now? Well, let me start with what I think will be the same, right? I, I think we're still gonna have an amazing campus. We're still gonna have amazing professors. The quality of instruction is still gonna be very high. We're gonna have amazing sports programs still, all those things. Um, you know, instructional delivery, I'm gonna guess if we're still dealing with things like COVID might look a little different, but um, the quality will still be there. I think the excitement will still be there. Um, what will be different? You know, I would love for us to raise our profile and the national stage. Um, people used to know us just for football. You know, now they're starting to know us for some of our, our health programs, for engineering program, for, for other things that we have going on here. Um, a good friend of mine who was a Grand Valley grad, he worked in the White House for a little bit um, at the tail end of the Obama administration and at the beginning of the Trump administration. I mean, our graduates and our alumni are doing things. Um, we have alumni, um, this makes me think of, you know, T. Haas, Tommy Romengasau, who I think is the president of Palau, um, uh, Arian, who's in um, Albania, I think he's the mayor in Tirana. I mean, we have Grand Valley grads who are all over the world doing amazing things. And more and more in five years, I would love for more people to know about us. I would love for more people from, from around the world, from around the country, to be interested in our programs, to be supporting our programs speaking into them. Um, I know that President Mantella and one of her, um, uh, and one of the initiatives she had last summer, Jaime Kassop was here. Jaime is the, I think the chief education officer for Google. I had previously seen him at a conference speaking as a keynote. It was like, 
man, this guy's amazing. And then he was on our campus last summer. I was like, holy cow, you know, this is amazing. But um, I want the world to know about how great Grand Valley is because of the people who are there and because of our students who are doing really amazing things. We're really fortunate to be in a wonderful university community and a wonderful broader community here in Grand Rapids. We, you and I both benefit from that in so many ways. Well, Megan, is there anything else you'd like to discuss, uh, mention before we wrap up? I don't really think so. I'm just, I'm really grateful for the opportunity. I, I love chatting with you, Gleaves. I, I love the Cook Leadership Academy. Um, you know, I think it's just so important that we all understand that leadership in life in general um, is a journey that we will always be on. And um, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't think there will ever come a day when we feel like we've arrived. And no exactly what we're doing and who we are and, and how to lead and whatnot, but it's really good to know that we have resources like the Hounstein Center and the Cook Leadership Academy and institutions like Grand Valley, right, who are willing to help us along the way. Um, I guess I want to challenge, challenge us all to wake up every day and think about what opportunities are out there for me today, um, what is there for me to learn, how can I teach others, uh, but I think we just, um, we need to do the work and we need to keep doing it. We also need to find joy in doing it. I don't, I don't mean for this to sound like, you know, our lives are just gonna be work and drudgery forever because that's not it. But um, I, think it's, um, I think it's important that we just position ourselves to have these attitudes of learning, especially again, as we go through really uncertain times like the ones we are right now. Well said, Megan. Well, thank you, Madam Chair, Megan Saul, for being a delightful guest on today's live Lunch and Learn webcast. Viewers now can appreciate why Megan's diverse experience in both town and gown give her such insights into the way West Michigan works. I mean, her passion for this region is just exemplary. And it's one of the reasons too that this region is so sought out by people. We hope, Megan, that you'll come back. I hope you'll be my guest on a future webcast. And I invite those who've tuned in to fill out the brief survey and let us know what you thought of today's program. I also invite you to zoom in or join us on Facebook at the same time on Tuesday June 30th for our next live Lunch and Learn webcast featuring, featuring Shannon Duffy, who teaches history at Texas State University in San Marcos. The statues of the founders and others have been much in the news lately, and Dr. Duffy will help us see the diversity of the founders and many other figures in American history and the conflicts that arose because of that diversity. So tell your friends and colleagues to listen in. Till Tuesday, stay tuned to all our Hallenstein Center offerings and stay well. Thank you. Beyond Aporia is a podcast brought to you by the Hallenstein Center for Presidential Studies at Grand Valley State University. The director of the Hallenstein Center and producer of this podcast is Gleaves Whitney. The theme music was composed by Andrew Whitney. The Hauenstein Center is inspired by Ralph W. Hauenstein's legacy of leadership and service. Our programs address many of the pressing issues that Americans face. To learn more about the Hauenstein Center, please visit us at www.gvsu.edu hc. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening. This is Gleaves Whitney.